You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. All right, let's get back to some boring subjects. Understand the risk to our country. Freedom brings people together. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. My name is Chris Spangle. So great to be with you. On this episode of the Chris Spangle Show, we are going to be talking about a brief history of Libertarian Party infighting. And as we go through our current kerfuffle, controversy, or whatever it is, there's a lot of people who don't understand our history and that everything's going to be fine. And that's what we're here to do, is to explain the past to you. So, stay tuned right after this break. Warning. This show is for adults by semi-adults, so the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Uh, I don't know what I said. Uh. Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. Our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. If you struggle to understand politics, we explain it from an independent, libertarian point of view. With all of the irreverence it deserves, we toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties, and give context to the news to make you think. Now, here's our host, Chris Spangle, a 15-year veteran of politics and media. Welcome to the program. My name is Chris Spangle. It's great to have you with us, and we will get to a brief history of Libertarian Party infighting and examine all of the past in just a moment. We are back live on Facebook. We have been banned for the past 90 days, so many of you may be seeing us again. I got messages. Why aren't you streaming anymore? Uh, We will be streaming on Saturday mornings, per usual, but we had a scheduling issue this week, so we're, we're doing Thursday night. And crushing our podcast, The Boss Hog of Liberty, uh, over there streaming now, I'm sure, and just getting very low ratings compared to ours. So we wish you all the best, Jeremiah and Dakota. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. And this entire network, all 13 shows on the We Are Libertarians podcast network, is supported by our patrons. And we want to thank them first and foremost. And if you want to become a Wall Plus member, you can join wallplus.com, W-A-L, join wallplus.com, and learn about all the great benefits like commercial-free shows. All those new commercials are really annoying, and I know it. Uh, But they're necessary to pay for uh, the, the functions that go on here as we grow. But if you don't want to hear them, then we'll charge you a modest fee over at joinwallplus.com. But we want to thank especially our $100 a month members, John Pusillo, Casey Feldposh, Lars Nordskog, Jake Edel, Matthew Durbin, Jeff Bennett, Reinhold, Christy Avery, and Jason Doolittle. And we just appreciate their support. And thank you for joining us tonight. Um, there has been a lot of things happened in the Libertarian Party over the last week, and I will be quite uh, uh, frank with you. I don't know what the hell's going on. I, I, uh, I, I think until we get an explanation, which we deserve, from uh, the LNC leadership about what's going on in the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire, you can't really talk in depth about it um, because if there's evidence, I sure as heck want to see it. And we didn't get a lot of answers on a, a national party Zoom call the other night. Um, so I don't want to I don't want to talk about New Hampshire because we don't know a lot about it. And sometimes when you're in the moment of a thing, it gets really hot. But I do think the concept of infighting in the Libertarian Party is something that needs to be addressed because I've been around since 2007 um, I'm not good at math, so I'll just say that's 15 years. 
Uh, and it's just been a constant thing. It's always been there. And I wanted to convene a panel of graybeards, as they're called, uh, and, and people that I like and respect and know have a long history in the party and can talk uh, in depth about what has happened through the history of the Libertarian Party in terms of infighting. If you don't know what infighting is, there has always been factions. If you have more than five people, especially five libertarians, you'll have seven opinions. And so there will always be factions within a, a, an organization like the Libertarian Party, the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, your local church. I always joke, not totally um, without merit, that I learned politics from the hiring and firing of three youth pastors when I was in youth group at the United Methodist Church. Uh, politics is just a constant part of life and any organization. And it's no different in the Libertarian Party. And I think people kind of leave their other two parties coming to a utopia where there's no corruption and there's no fighting and everybody gets along and works together and they're kind of surprised, right? And I think that that uh, is, is a ding sometimes. Um, but what I have learned, especially from Joe and Mark, two of our guests, and, and Reinhold has, has filled me in on a lot of the history. I'm meeting Steve face-to-face -face and not via email, I think, for the first time tonight. Um, is that this this um, idea of a messaging fight or a vision fight or an end goal or whatever form it takes has always been there and will always be present. And I've accepted that, right? And so we, we, we try to be nice to all the different factions. And that puts me in weird positions. I'm in, I'm in the Fakertarians group tonight talking to some of these people going, what is happening? <laughs> what are you talking about? And you just learn over the course of the, the time in the libertarian movement that a zealot is a zealot and you can't reason with them. And trying to do so is like trying to pet a rabid raccoon in a cage. And so you're better off just trying to find the other people that are willing to be the peacemakers and work with them. Because I don't worry about takeovers and all that stuff. Because Mises, let's say they win it all. And once they're in power, they're going to shed all the people that are going to uh, hurt their ability to stay in power. They're going to moderate, and the peacemakers from that faction will find the peacemakers in other factions. And then they will form the establishment, and then 10 years later, some young kids will come in and try to kick them out for not being pure enough. Um, I believe that I have that right, but let's go around the horn and introduce everybody. You all know Reinhold. Reinhold, thanks for being here. Oh, you're gonna. I think I have muted everybody. That is my apology. I'm yeah. not professional in any way, shape, it's or form. Not my Reinhold. How long? Not my fault this time. I demand a public apology for that. If I were counting um, the years on this panel, how long have you been involved in the Libertarian Party? I have been in the Libertarian Party as an entity since the uh, early to mid '90s. I would say like '92, '93. I first uh, sent in my little form with my $25 and joined the party and I've uh, been following it ever since a um, little bit hit or miss sometimes because of some, some personal issues over the past uh, five, 10 years. And Chris, you know about those, but um, it's still, it's still been something that's been uh, important to me. Uh, uh, tell me again, how many years that was, I was doing some technical stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to add it all uh, up here. I would say 25 to 27 years. All right, so we're we're up to forty years here on the on the count. Um, let's go to my personal attorney, Mark Rutherford. Um, I have not paid him that dollar yet, but if I ever uh -huh. am about to be put in jail, you will be my first call, Mark. Uh, so, 
How long have you been involved in the Libertarian Party and what positions have you held? It's hard to tell about when you're involved. I was giving money to uh, Libertarians in the early 90s and supporting their local races in Indianapolis. Joined the party in 96 and uh, got very involved with the statewide race for Secretary of State in 98, and it's gone uphill or downhill since then. And so I've been state chair of Indiana for six years in the early 2000s, served on the Libertarian National Committee during most of that time period, also served as uh, on uh, national vice chair for two years from a 2010 to 2012, ran for 2012, lost by one vote. I know one vote matters. Mark Rutherford, the godfather. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk about Nick in a minute. Um, and 2012, because that was uh, the the takeover I was involved in, uh, which failed by one vote. And you, Mark is the godfather of the pragmatists, not the prags or the prag caucus, because the prags today are a lot different than the Indiana prags that were trying to take the party over and professionalize it uh, in, in 2010s. Um, but Mark is uh, also the man responsible for getting me two jobs. Uh, the job is the executive director of the Libertarian Party of Indiana from 08 to 12, and then the mem- marketing director for the Advocates for Self-Government. So always indebted to Mark and a great mentor to me. Um, Joe Houtman, how many years have you been involved in the Libertarian Party? What have you run for? What, what has been your involvement in the LP? Well, if we're going to cut, start by checks, I cut my first check to Dick Randolph, who was the Alaskan candidate uh, for governor in 75. Uh, I got active in the party when I called the national uh, headquarters and Ed Crane, uh, talked to Ed Crane, asked him who was running the Ed Clark camp, uh, petition drive in Indiana in 1979. And he said, funny, you should ask. Um, and uh, so I ended up doing that. I was a young attorney, literally less than a year in practice. And uh, I said, uh, okay, but I'm going to need some help. Who's the state chair? And he goes again, funny you should ask. <laughs> um, so I've also been state chair three times, once in the 80s, once in the 90s, and once in the thousands. So uh, whereas Mark tends to put it all together, I'm sort of like the guy they keep on the bench and call in every now and then when needed. Um, I've also served on the NATCOM. Um, I ran a traditional libertarian campaign, meaning losing, uh, <laughs> for vice chair of the National Party. Um, and uh, so uh, I've been active, county chair, state chair. Um, I'm currently county treasurer in Boone County, but that's mainly means the treasurer sends me a form every couple of months and says, sign this. Um, but you name it, I've had it. I've run for local rice. I've run for superintendent of public instruction. I still, and I'm very ashamed of this, I still hold the record for the best in a three-way race for U.S. House of Representatives um, in, as a libertarian uh, when I ran against, um, oh, God, Dan Burton, um, and, uh, and a, a, a candidate, uh, Bobby Kern, who <laughs> was a gay cross-dressing felon before it was popular. Um, and uh, I, he was so bad that the gay caucus gave me their PAC money. Um, 
Yeah, Bobby. And Bobby, I, I've met a few times uh, sitting in the Indiana election division, and and he's just there because he's he just wants to say hi. <laughs> yeah, he he's not a bad. He wasn't a bad man. He's just you when you're when you're a kid, you you everyone has that friend that their mom said he doesn't have any friends. Go play with him. Um, they grow up. Okay, and that was pretty much Bobby. Yeah. Um, but the sad thing was. Well, Joe, between Bobby oh, and Amd, this was the actually. Go ahead. Oh yeah, you you just fuzzed out. Well, thank you, Joe. We appreciate you uh, introducing yourself, Steve Dosbach. Talking and talking and talking. That's okay. Uh, that's what we do here, Steve. Uh, how long have you been involved? We're up to 111 years so of Libertarian Party experience so far. So, uh, give us your resume and how long have you been involved? Well, uh, I joined the, uh, the the party the same time Joe did. Joe, Joe joined, which was in 1979, and in fact, he made that call to the headquarters when he was at my house, um, so uh, to find out about who was running the Clark campaign in Indiana. Um, and actually, it was kind of interesting. We went down uh, shortly after to meet the Libertarians in Indianapolis, and um, that's when Joe got elected as the state chair. Um, but uh, they uh, passed on the uh, the records for the state, which were in a shoebox of random pieces of paper. And uh, then we discovered that the uh, treasurer had a bench warrant out against him because he didn't believe in filing paperwork as a matter of principle. Um, so, um, so 79 till now. Uh, in Indiana, I think I ran for office seven times, including uh, Secretary of State, which was the first time we got ballot status. Um, Around the time, same time, they decided to quadruple the requirement. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then it, it was uh, under Mark's leadership in 94 that we got it back again. And then um, I was, uh, I think I was state chair in Indiana twice, state chair in uh, Virginia once. And uh, I served uh, 13 years on the LNC, including two terms as the state, as the uh, national chair. So I was national chair. Uh, uh, Reinhold, when you joined, uh, I was the national chair. That was 93. And uh, that ran until uh, 98. And then from 98 to 2002, I was the executive director at the headquarters. Um, yeah. And then I just got done uh, as the campaign manager for Joe Jorgensen's uh, presidential campaign. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that later. But, yeah, we're up to 153 years of Libertarian Party uh, experience. And the um, – Oh, let me start here. Let's defend the existence of the Libertarian Party, which I know you all have been doing for a long time. But, you know, Libertarian factions who are not in the Libertarian Party have often challenged whether or not the party should exist or does any good at all. Um, Even I have thought that many times myself. Um, And and this comes today from New York Times bestselling author uh, Michael Malice, who is a popular Libertarian figure who wrote uh, an hour and a half before we started the show. I don't know a single person, literally not one, who has been converted to libertarianism by the Libertarian Party. Now, Malice loves to uh, take very funny man, very intelligent, but beating up on the Libertarian Party is a hack joke, and he's better than that. But does the Libertarian Party actually convert people to libertarianism? Defend the Libertarian Party. Let's start with Steve Dasbach. Okay. The Libertarian Party doesn't convert people. Libertarians in the party have that effect. What the Libertarian Party is really best at, and especially if we, we focus on this, 
is discovering libertarians, the people that are already out there that believe the same way we do, and they have no idea that there's anybody else out there that agrees with them. I mean, you you run into this all the time where we somebody come would come out and they say, you know, where have you people been all my life? I, I didn't know anybody else believed these things. I didn't know. I thought I had to be a Democrat or Republican. I didn't know there was another option. It, it's so, common when you go to a convention too, like people who go to a convention, a state or national convention, they, they go, I finally don't feel strange. <laughs> um, one of the interesting things, um, you know, in terms of discovering uh, libertarians and I think doing and, and in fact, changing some minds is um, or at least crystallizing ideas. Uh, we found in the Jorgensen campaign that 75 percent of our donors had were not on the Libertarian Party's da- national database. They, they were not part of the Libertarian Party. Seventy-two uh, percent of our volunteers had no previous connection with the Libertarian Party. Um, and at the bus tour events that uh, Joe did, they started asking, you know, is anybody here not already a member of the Libertarian Party? So they'd pass out, so they could pass, give them a membership form. And they found, again, it was about three-quarters of the people there were not members of the Libertarian Party. What do you, so, what do you attribute that to? What was your conclusion on that data? Well, uh, polling has indicated that somewhere between 30 to 60 million people hold generally libertarian views. And, you know, the the National Party has, what, 20,000 members? Uh, Joe got about 1.8 million votes. Uh, So I think a little over 4 million when um, uh, the second time uh, Gary Johnson ran. So the point is, there are tens of millions of people who hold the same kind of views we do that have no connection with the libertarian party. They don't, they don't know we exist. And so most of our task is, is not trying to change people's minds. It's finding the people that already agree with us and getting them active involved so that we can actually get policy changes, get people elected, get uh, policy changes uh, enacted at the uh, state, local and national level. But and Steve, you can take this or uh, one of the other two before we move on to the other uh, folks defending the LP. If only 20,000 people are in the LP and there's 90 million libertarians, doesn't that just show that the Libertarian Party is ineffective and not worth your time? No. Uh, most, of those, most of those people don't know they're libertarian. If you ask how many self-identify libertarian, it's much, much, much less than that 30 to 60 uh, uh, million. Most people don't know that there's an alternative out there. Uh, what we find is that people, sometimes the Republicans in particular, say, oh, you're taking away our votes. We find that most people who vote Libertarian, join the Libertarian Party, they weren't former Democrats. They weren't former Republicans. They were former, okay, they're all terrible. They're a former, I don't have, an, I don't have a choice here. How do, you know, I want fiscal responsibility and I don't want people locking up my kids for smoking a joint. Where's where's my party? Um, and so and I, I would like to have my uh, my uh, kids not being sent over to foreign wars. Well, the Democrats, or Republicans don't give you an option in that regard. And so people are, frankly, very excited when they find out that there actually is a party that holds beliefs that are aligned with theirs. Um, I'm going to step out for just a moment, but Mark Rutherford, defend the Libertarian Party. Should it exist? Does it do any good? Does it even create libertarians? 
Well, I don't know if it creates libertarians. Uh, what I often see is exactly what Steve talks about, is they discover that we exist. There are people like us. They meet more people like us. But I'm, I'm going to say that thinking the Libertarian Party is the one creating libertarians, uh, you've got it all backwards. Um, libertarians gather to do the political lobbying, to do political change, to change policy, to get libertarians elected. Um, I believe that far better identifying or, or creating libertarians are nonprofits because they don't have the ugliness of politics uh, completely around them. Uh, there's a place in Indianapolis called the Liberty Fund. Um, I find most uh, awful lot of its academics who do seminars to be very libertarian. They're more likely to find identifying to create libertarians. Cato Institute's another group like that. Reason Magazine does a great job. I see the Libertarian Party's job is identifying who those libertarians are and those that can do politics, like politics, be leaders in politics. Those are the people that we want to gather and try to change things, change policy. Um, and it, 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 looking, and I, that's part of our, I think, what happens with some factionalism is you do have people who think that we should be creating libertarians, and I just don't think that, that that's realistic. That doesn't happen. Now, does it happen? Yes. Where I see that we might create libertarians as a political party is spouses, family members, close yep. friends, etc. But that's because they hang around somebody for a while and they hear about the times they had and they hear them talk about, oh, I'm involved with the political party, the Libertarian Party. That's the time when it is created. But it's not just a general th thing that happens. I don't think the Libertarian Party is a good mechanism to do it. In fact, I think it's a horrible mechanism for creating libertarians. It's a wonderful mechanism for gathering self-identified libertarians. Those who figured we're here. Show our good candidates. I mean, in the end, I'm proud to say it's had some really good candidates. And a lot of people keep hanging around them after they run. And they're involved with the Libertarian Party. Um, that's what we do. And what does the Libertarian Party do? Uh, I'm chairman of the Indiana Public Defender Commission. It's amazing what we do to keep people, to make sure that the rights of people in a criminal process uh, are respected, are preserved. Um, and why am I there? Uh, it's because a Republican governor a long time ago did not want to appoint a Democrat, and the law allows him to appoint a Libertarian. He has to do one or the other. So I get appointed, and I've been chairman of it for 15 years. We're gathering statistics that show that we're saving the state money in the criminal justice system because we're helping promote better defense, which means you get better sentences that fit and reduce repeat offenders because they're getting sentences that actually help them and not just put them away or give them something silly that doesn't do any good. Actually, it helps get offenders the help they need. So it's it just uh, this is what you do and how you do it. I'm hearing that having a good personal network of people and being friendly helps you create new libertarians. I don't think that's true. That's not what I've heard on many podcasts. Um, <laughs> Mark, I think Indiana is a great model for the rest of the Libertarian Party because it is part of it is because we've got. Three people here who have been attached to the Libertarian Party of Indiana, too many, you know, state chairs m multiple times over. People who, when I came in 14 years ago, 
mentored me and taught me here's how here's what we learned here's how we learned it here's why you shouldn't do that here's who the players are here's who the friendly politicians are that institutional knowledge was important and it was kept around because the libertarian party has the goldfish syndrome you know the supposedly goldfish has a new memory every seven seconds every four years most county parties and state parties have a brand new memory they there's you know i remember um going to a central committee meeting in Indiana in 2016, and, and you guys were talking about some of the same things we had talked about in 2009, and I went, hey, X, Y, and Z, here's where we blah, 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 and it, it cut some time down. I think, Joe, you may have been chair, and and it kind of helped redirect a little bit because I was there to give the knowledge of my full-time career those four years that I worked for the party. We had two executive, we have many executive directors, me, Brad Kloffenstein, um, and, and several others. And that institutional memory is important, but it only sticks around if the egos are set aside and people work towards a common goal and are just working together and kind of set the ideology second and the project first in a lot of ways. And Indiana, you know, so when Don Rainwater has the right message last year in a gubernatorial race, he gets second place in 32 counties and, and sets a state record for third-party finishes in a three-way gubernatorial race. And it's led to the creation of dozens of new county parties because Rainwater was allowed was able to tap into 50 years of continuous state party institutional knowledge and not just two years, three years, four years. Mark, what makes Indiana different compared to other state parties other than some of those things? What do you see in that Indiana model that allows you to get appointed to a state commission? I served on a voting commission um, in 2009. Like why we're in the media consistently, we're in the statewide debates. What is that special sauce that other states could replicate? Well, I, I think there are probably two points. One is I know that um, Joe and Steve, myself, others have worked hard to keep institutional knowledge around. Um, we don't kick people to the to the curb when they leave. Um, I'm very, very guilty of giving somebody a two year break and then calling them up and saying, "Hey, shouldn't you be do you want to do something now? You've had two years to rest." So you you're, we're active in doing that and bringing people back and getting them involved and tons of stories of people who are just they're raising kids or whatever and then i've got one set couple who said they get active again once their kids graduated from high school well that phone call is about to happen um <laughs> they quit 18 years ago they were great they're about to do that if they're listening to this program which i wouldn't be surprised if they are they better leave town um but but, but that's one of the things that's different the other thing that i think is most important is that we look for standards and leaders and uh, Chris, uh, we, we of course talked corresponded a little bit earlier this morning, and I was trying to figure out what that is. And I've got to give you credit; you kind of solidified those phrases for me uh, because that is succinct. And I think that's what Indiana does very, very well. We do have high standards. We've had our issues. We've had our divisions, and um, most of the time, the divisions are not over uh, uh, what it is you're saying. What of the two or three? Um, messages that you will get, it's more practical or pragmatic about it is, are you doing a good job? Are you saying it in a way that's going to reach the voter? Are you picking things that the voters might be ready to hear uh, rather than, I call it, stick in the eye? And, uh, and when you do that and you start making connections, you start to get things done. The other thing is we show up, we talk to people, um, uh, lots of us are at the legislature, 
A lot of us have friends who are now legislators. That's because we didn't go in there and say you're evil. We went in there and said, hey, did you think about this? What do you think? What's your position on this? The approach is totally different than it is in some other areas where it's just like everybody's evil. No, I've got a lot of legislators who need help, and I want to try to put them into a uh, more libertarian direction. And sometimes we succeed. Sometimes we end up getting appointed to commissions. Our state chair, Evan McMahon, is Evan a registered lobbyist? I think he is. Uh, no, he doesn't have to be a state chair. Okay. Um, That's an exception. But but he has he's 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 a pretty good example of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he found out basically that vape shops, uh, Mark, as my attorney, tell me when I'm speaking out of turn, I need to edit this on the live stream. But, uh, you know, he, he was big. He started a vape company. They started cracking down on vape companies. They started cracking down on vape shops. Evan Evan be, understands and knows that this is what finds out what's happening because he's well connected, knows a lot of state legislators, knows a lot of media members, starts putting two and two together. And the guy that is about to lose his uh, or did lose his gambling license was basically using state legislators to pass legislation to make it super hard to run a vape shop so they go out of business so he could buy them so when he got weed legalized he owned the distribution network and evan figured it out and and was instrumental in kind of exposing that and he would never have had that ability had he not had those relationships with legislators um relationships have been at the core of the Indiana model with people that typically libertarians will find offensive or baby killers or, (laughs) you know, and you can move those people in uh, different directions. You know, uh, Elastic Giraffe on YouTube says here, the only person I know that LP is converted by is Karen Ann Harlow, said nobody converted her by herself. She stumbled into the platform Reddit and changed her registration. Sure, I mean, you know, Maybe some people like that have stumbled on, 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 a, on a website and read the platform, and I, I skip platform debates because that stuff doesn't matter, which we'll talk about. But um, it's the people. The, the Libertarian Party is an excuse to gather with like-minded people to work on a project together to achieve a common goal, and the common goal typically is changing a piece of local legislation. Rush County, Indiana forms a libertarian party, shows up with a camera, starts posting county council meetings on YouTube. The county councilors are horrified that they're now exposed and there's daylight. They try to kick them out of the uh, county council meetings. They are allowed to stay in, and they end up canceling a $100 million project in their local county because they showed up to a county council meeting. So, Joe Hauptman, when I hear from the more radical elements that all is lost, grab your guns, let's join the insurrection. I always ask, what is the name of your county councilor and when was the last time you went to talk to your mayor? And the answer is, why would I ever talk to them? (laughs) Uh, So touch on that, but then talk about your defense of the Libertarian Party. Well, yeah, Libertarians who are of that group, I always call them the uh, uh, Rambo libertarians they it really is they just can't picture the world going on without them so they have to make sure it goes out in a blaze of glory and they get to be some of the guys doing the shooting because the idea of them dying and then three days later the world going on just is not acceptable to them wait so this isn't a new Um, phenomenon this is like been since you've been in the libertarian party in this oh yeah macho flash the great macho flash did not initiate in 2019 
Oh, no. You know, um, and the, the shock and awe has not. You know, um, I've even had, uh, you know, we talk about professionalizing and, you know, to not scare people. I can remember arguing with one state party that they probably should have their media uh, person, the guy who goes and does the press conferences, have teeth. Okay? That's just those little professionalizing issues. Um, I think one of the problems we don't talk about often is the fact that we are not, we keep saying libertarians, okay, in the Libertarian Party. Um, and we are really much more like the Democrats than we are like the Republicans in the sense that we're a coalition. And we've been coalitions from the beginning. Uh, we're, we're unfortunately a party that also is a philosophy, but they're not the same thing. Okay, the Libertarian Party from the beginning has been made up of anarchists, it's been made up of minarchists, it's been made up of constitutional conservatives, um, and as a result, they're not all the same. They're not all the same. And when you talk about making libertarians, one, we're not good at it. Okay, but the other thing is, if you start making libertarians, the question becomes, what flavor? Right. And that's what leads to the infighting, which is what feels okay. like it. What, what it's about now is is different right. factions are trying to fight over whose brand of libertarianism will reign supreme. When in reality, right. you can't win that fight. That's never going. There will always be Cato Absolutely. and Reason and Mises and, you know, multiple factions. And it's going to expand. You know, crypto is going to bring in new people, it, you know, uh, new technology. Right. Go ahead, whereas if, if you're focusing on discovering libertarians, you're going to discover all kinds of libertarians. Mm -hmm. Um, right. You know, assuming that you have a message that's open enough that uh, they all feel uh, like they're welcome, that you don't have a situation where one group feels that they're being pushed aside or pushed out or uh, not made uh, to feel welcome. Yeah. Right. And that's that's why, you know, uh, as to what purpose we serve, like when Joe ran or, you know, when I've run for Congress and that, you know, you know, one person, I remember one time when they asked, you know, um, was, you know, what, am I going to win? You know, my response was, uh, no, but I'm going to spend a lot less to lose than the Democrat is. Um, I wasn't in it to win. I said, when enough people agreed with me, I'll win. Okay. And it's not that I was not trying to win. It's a case that I was a standard bearer. Okay. The top races, in my opinion, and Mark may disagree, um, the top races, in my mind, are standard bearers. They're the fool on the hill. <laughs> okay, If you know anything about medieval battles, they were the nuts standing there with a the flag, waving them, saying, hey, anyone who's on our side, this is where we're supposed to be. Okay, And that's what we did. You know, when, they, when people talk about, you know, um, Joe brought me in, or Gary Johnson brought me in, or Ron Paul brought me in. Okay, it wasn't because they listened to hours and hours of these candidates and said, yes, that convinced me to be a libertarian. Okay, no, it's because they go, oh, that person's like me. Okay, or they think kind of like me. That's where I belong. And that's the purpose of our candidates. Right. And one of the things that we did uh, when we talked about uh, uh, Don Rainwater earlier on, one of the things that we began doing uh, way back in the 80s 
was really trying to target. Uh, we went out and recruited candidates that we didn't. We didn't just wait for somebody to, to say, "Oh, I want to run for this." Mm-hmm. We looked and said, "Okay, we need to have a candidate for every congressional race." All right, who in each district would be a good candidate? Who would be a good standard bearer? If there turns out to be a debate, who could go on to that debate stage and be credible uh, for this? If you're going to have a candidate like, like running, for example, like for auditor or treasurer or clerk of the Supreme Court, well, they're not going to have any debates. There's not going to be any forums. Who's going to have the right kind of resume to be able to be put forth as a credible candidate? So we went out and recruited people for those races so that when those opportunities arose, you had a credible candidate there able to step in. So when we started getting included in statewide debates, we had candidates that could go on a debate stage and, uh, frankly, in many cases, show up the Democrat and Republicans in terms of showing a credible person to serve in that uh, office. Now, one of the reasons I've been critical of the Mises caucus uh, from 2017, 2018 on was the takeover messaging. Um, One of the reasons that I think we're at the split that we're at right now is that there wasn't a lot of humility in that. uh, Let me share my experience and you guys tell me if it resonates from, from way in way back. But you know, when I was executive director from 08 to 12, that was prime Ron Paul Republican territory. And you guys are all just losers, and uh, the Libertarian Party can't win, and we're going to reform the Republican Party from the inside. It just makes more sense. Um, you know. So to have Justin Amash say to me personally, I don't think you can do that. Ten years after he began his journey kind of made me go, all right. <sighs> but it, it is that's frustrating because you should be able to change it from the inside, and you can't. Um, you know, and there was a lot of arrogance coming towards Libertarians. And then the Ron Paul Republican came to the Libertarian Party and brought that same level of arrogance to it and said, we don't want to learn about what Steve Dosbach or Joe Hauptman or Mark Rutherford know. We're going to do it our way. And they're kind of reinventing some of the same mistakes. Um, That's frustrating. And one of their messages is that people, maybe not you guys, right? But there's just a lot of scared rabbits in the party that don't like that kind of attitude because they're going to lose their positions of power. Ha, the power? Can, can, the power? can you please describe to me the riches and political power that you have gained over the last 30 years of being in the Libertarian Party that, that man, you just stand to lose and you're just trying to hold so tightly onto? Don't have the riches. Um, with the Indiana Public Defender Commission, I have a lot of influence might say it's power, but it's look, I'm starting from criminal justice. That's way back well, in the back in a lot of people's minds. So, and, 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 so there's not and a we, lot, but I do have influence and that's nice. But isn't and, that what and that wouldn't to? change and that wouldn't change if right. the, uh, the, the different people took over. That's right. Yeah, I, I really think that 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 that's the thing that that does bother me the most is this whole notion of uh, any group that comes over and wants to take over that basically that it's more important that you're part of our little clique than what is best for the party. You know, the, the Indiana model has always been, we don't care if you're a radical or a pragmatist or Mises caucus or audacious or anything else. Okay. Are you competent? 
And can you get the job done that you're looking to do? You know, are you an effective candidate? We've had, we, we recruited candidates, effective candidates who were very hardcore, very pragmatic and everywhere in between. That wasn't what we looked for. We looked for people who could be effective as a candidate. Uh, we looked for people who could be effective do, with organizing a phone bank or what, organizing precincts or being able to do graphic layout. And again, where their, what their ideological, uh, where they fell on the ideological spectrum didn't really matter. And I think we're seeing that with, with in the, the, the Mises case where people have been put into positions because they are part of the caucus. And then it turns out they're not doing a very credible job. Um, whereas if they had been looking more towards who can do a credible job and were open to people who were or were not in their caucus, um, I, I think you, they would have be having better re- long-term results and it wouldn't be as divisive. The other thing I think we need to recognize that that's actually pretty different this time than anything else is the Mises caucus is a political action committee. It's, it's, it was a political action committee formed by one person um, and, you know, is raising money to be able to pay his salary, pay other salaries, send people to these uh, races, which is very different than all the other caucuses that we've had. Um, and and in, let, in let me party. just say this. I, I personally, um, I don't like that person. Uh, and, and it's because he has, he's the, the one I don't like. Uh, but you know, when, when I talk to listeners that are in Mises, I really get along with them great and, and really appreciate my conversations with them and get a new perspective of where they're at. And I will say the, a lot of those people that I talk to are very similar to the Indiana model in that they have a shared goal of electing libertarians, the radical yep. that Mark, you know, was up against, you know, the, the they'll go, like I see Mary Ruart's book in the back of Mark. Mark's uh, now Mark, you know, was an opponent to Mary Ruart in factional, you know, competition. Um, and you have her book behind you because right. you respect Mary. Um, I, yeah, but I Mary the candidate in the best places. I think she should run, but in a heartbeat. Yeah, and the the, the goal, her her goal, and you can go listen to my conversation with her in January because I really respect Mary Ruart. It's about educating people, and she has a very credible, logical reason for why she thinks that it's about, you know, educating people, and you should just run campaigns to to educate. I don't think that that fits the moment anymore, because when I jumped in in 2007, I had to explain what a libertarian was. Culturally, there has been such a big impact by libertarians that that's no longer necessary, and now there is a political advantage to being a libertarian, and the job now is to get name ID for your candidate to win a race. And so Indiana libertarians are focused on ballot access next election cycle and winning the governor's race in you know four years from now. Those two missions, that's it. And if you're in, you're in. A couple of Mises caucus guys come in. I'll come to you next show. And have an attitude. Like, oh, well, Nick worked, you know, uh, uh, Evan McMahon worked for Nick Sarwark, so he's clearly going to F us. And they, they had believed all the online head trash that had come from people like Michael who want to diminish this brand and diminish people instead of understanding where they're at and working with them. And they, they came at him with, uh, with an attitude. And Evan just went, what, what are you doing? 
you know, help them get their table at the convention, set them up to start an affiliate. Mises has affiliated a county here in Indiana, worked with them, had conversations with them, talked with them, trained them. And so when Heist finds out that Evan's chair, oh, well, we need to get rid of that guy. We need to take him over. He's, he's just a puppet of Sarwark. Uh, those guys stuck up for Evan. <laughs> because, and, and they said that's not what he's about. He's about winning these two races and training people and starting county affiliates. And, and those goals align with ours. And so what I kind of think with Mises is that once people now are starting to get together in person, People are going to start getting offline, hopefully, and getting off Twitter and off Facebook because you guys have to realize these Facebook groups are not the Libertarian Party. These Twitter accounts are not the Libertarian Party. When you show up to the convention or you show up to your local county party, I've been to four Libertarian Party county events in the last month. Not one of those people knew what was going on between Mises and all these other people. It's a very online conversation. Steve, I'm sure you did a lot of traveling around the country last year with the, the Jorgensen campaign. Even in the Libertarian Party or just the regular people that you met on the trail or that your team met, are they thinking about this argument or is... Oh, absolutely is, not. Right. No, absolutely not. And, and frankly, that's one of the things that's really important is that that you make those connections, and frankly, you want to make those connections before you get to a state convention because uh, you, you don't want a situation where people come in and their first connection with other libertarians is at the convention, and they've already been told, given a narrative that, oh, you need to do this, this, and this, and this, uh, because this is, you know, again, the example you gave of, you know, the state chair is the, the puppet of some other person. Uh, making those connections beforehand and letting them find out what reality is, um, I think can go a long way to preventing any group from coming in and trying to, uh, you know, in effect, make, try to make over the Libertarian Party in their image, as opposed to recognizing that we are a diverse coalition of people that are coming at this from a lot of different directions. Um, if you're familiar with the Nolan chart, uh, libertarian is a quadrant. It's not a point. Um, and we get a lot of different people who all would fall in that category of libertarian. Yeah, I mean, that, that's um, it, a lot of the folks who have big voices in the online libertarian movement don't have political experience. And what, what I've found is that I view things human. I, I, it stems from my political ideology human nature set and you have a set of factors of four factors of choices in front of you steve you're talking about choosing candidates i'm sure they weren't your dream candidates i'm sure you if you had drawn on a whiteboard what you wanted in terms you know it's like gary johnson may have not been your best you know dream candidate in 2012 but he was the option you had right um and, and so often that's that's like once you're on the ground and you're you're in the job and you're working on things i think people's perspectives are going to have a, a, i would just i would just ask go to your local libertarian party meeting or state chapter meet some libertarians in person and i think the reality of what you see is going to be a lot different um you know, is this an internet thing, Joe? This this like disconnection between the 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 official narrative uh, online and what's happening on the grassroots in the parties. I think anytime you get information going through just electronics, you're going to get 
problems even before we had personal media. Um, remember, uh, Steve, I don't know if Mark remembers, but Steve can remember when we just had those um, like chat lines or whatever mm-hmm. they called them. I mean, it got to the point where even the members of the National Committee couldn't stand reading the National Committee um, chat groups. They were so poisonous. Yeah. Okay. They were absolutely disgusting. Okay. Yeah, LPUS. LPUS. LPUS, yeah. it was yes. called. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, for a reason. Horrible. It, it absolutely was terrible. Um, no, the point I wanted to make earlier when you were talking about um, Mary, you know, for instance, I backed Mary at the 73 um, convention, 83, 83 convention as the compromise candidate. Um, the problem was, is what people don't realize you're talking about um, the um, groups that can do the job better now in making libertarians like Cato. Mm-hmm. Most people don't realize Cato is nothing more than the losing faction of the 83 convention. <laughs> really? Okay. Yes. I mean, literally, they are the coctopus that lost, okay, left, and the Ed Crane became the head of Cato. And the Coke money is what started. Yeah, and they, and they, they were they were the, they were the people that ran the uh, 1980 campaign, Ed Clark, which was the first time that we got uh, went over uh, a million one uh, percent, close to a million votes, and that was because, and David Koch was the vice presidential candidate for the sole purpose of the fact that it would allow him to to pump uh, several million dollars into the campaign and buy TV ads. And what and what? Uh, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but what happened then is their messaging was similar to what you might have heard from Gary Johnson in 2016, where they stated libertarianism, libertarianism is uh, socially liberal and economically conservative. Well, yeah. a lot of radical people hate that. And that's what, uh, as I understand, Murray Rothbard hated that phrase. Now, he, I think he had other issues with Crane, and there's a whole yep. lot of history there. But that was his main um, rallying cry to get people on his side to try to change that. Yeah, although if you looked at the actual proposals, they were all solidly libertarian proposals, but they were also realistic in terms of what could be done in the short term. That was one of the things that we stressed in the in, in Joe's campaign was that we needed to make sure that we were, you know, solidly principled, but also practical, that the the proposals had to be things that you could actually that people could actually envision being done. They weren't just feels came across. We didn't just come across as wild pie in the sky uh, fantasies. And in I fact, don't know, Steve. I just 80- went down to the local uh, construction site. I was visiting my dad the other day, and all the construction workers came up to me, and they just said, "You know what? We need more child labor around here." It was just the first thing that just <laughs> was their first concern. It was the first thing that just jumped off the tip of their tongue. Yeah, I, I, right. That was, that would not be that does not fall into that uh, that practical. Um, okay, so I got one more tactical question. I want to talk about standards. Um, Mark and I have talked a little bit about this. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give my answer. Reinhold, you give your answer, and then we'll open it up to the group if they want to want to handle it. Um, Charles writes, "What about the Mises connection to white supremacists?" Um, now, I'd, let, let's ask it more broadly. Karen asks, is Richard Spencer a libertarian? Should the party welcome his specific brand? When, you, when, when the party was a lot smaller, 
Um, I'm sure you had a lot of people who were um, uh, who weren't who were deplorables. <laughs> There's no other way to say it. I mean, there has to come a point where you are a libertarian or you are not. If you are advocating violence against people in New Hampshire because they made a different political decision than you, you're no longer a libertarian. You have crossed into something different. There has to come a time where the factions, be it it's, – it's why I was taking shit in the Fakertarians group because I was saying – You've gone too far. You've moved your Overton window too far. This is like that zealot conversation. And my criticism of Mises a lot of times, but it has changed. It was my whole conversation with Dave Smith, which was self-police more. You'll get more. You will get less hate. You will get more self-respect if you look at those people and go, you're not you're not within the range of allowable opinion. Okay, but if you're always setting on fire, then it's hard to determine where that is. So what what do you do with people that are just blatantly not libertarian, that are racist, that are bigots, that are uh, uh, violent, that are just outside the pale of, you know, I, I don't uh, like basic things you'd teach a two year old. <laughs> I mean, anybody want to take that? Yes. You don't coddle them. I see too many libertarians do in some some to reform. No, these people are telling you they're going to be hard to reform. We're not getting some of the people who need to discover that we exist who might help us. Um, we do too much of that. Uh, we also try to justify things in our principle about everybody being equal. Well, no, there are people out there who have horrible, horrible standards, horrible, horrible ideas. We, we, we don't have to be around with them. My favorite thing to do is ignore them. Every time you start talking to them, you're giving them what they want, a platform. I try to make sure that they are so unwanted that they go and they harass somebody else. Usually they don't. They eventually run out of people. And I've noticed on some of these people that we're their their last stop. And so we should just let them keep on going, and we don't. Um, Now, Indiana is much better at it than it used to be um, and probably has been pretty better than a lot of states for since day one for whatever reason, maybe because of the way Hoosiers are, but um, you, you just can't do that. And you, you, it, it, one of the things that we kind of gotten rid of for a lot in Indiana was people would show up and, you know, Joe, you said that, that no one's running the, the ballot drive. You raised your hand. I don't know what Ed Clark knew about you, um, but he may have just <laughs> taken a wild chance. It turned out it was a good chance and it worked out well, but um, too many times you raise your hand and you're there, and then all of a sudden you've got a white supremacist spouting hate and actually is violent, and now you've created them and put them in the position. You, you then have to kick them out. But you don't. You, you, we've had people want to run for office, and I know we've had people say you really can't, uh, you shouldn't run. And if they do insist to run, the word gets out that this is an ugly person. We yeah, talked. I think it was it was very about. obvious who Chris Cantwell was and where he was headed. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's a there's a reason I didn't have him on my show in the late 2000s. It was like he was clearly violent. He he there was a lot of subtext, but he wasn't explicit yet. You know, but um, say what you want, Steve, but maybe answer this question. Those are easy cases. The Klansman with the robe showing up to your convention is easy. What do you do with the people that coalition with them? Well, I think that there's a couple things. First off, the, 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 I think Mark made a really good point. 
you don't put those people into positions where they can have influence. That is, you don't. If they decide they're going to, if somebody like that decides to run for office, you recruit somebody better to run for that same office so that they uh, don't get the nomination. Um, you don't just sit there and go, well, gee, there's nothing we can do. It's not a question of, you know, kicking them out, but you can run somebody better who is going to get the nomination over them. You can make sure that there are uh, procedures in place that make it hard for uh, a group to come in and suddenly pack your uh, convention. I know that Indiana has those kinds of uh, uh, protections. Many states do. Some don't. And uh, they can uh, they, they are uh, at risk uh, of that. And I think the biggest thing is, and this is what we, we tried to do in the, uh, the late 90s, is you simply outnumber them. You know, we went from 10,000 members to 28,000 to 33,000. And the number of toxic people were simply diluted by the number of reasonable, rational, uh, normal people that joined. And they became less of an issue. And it also meant there were more of those people that you could reach out to to be candidates, to be in those visible positions uh, you didn't get, uh, didn't run the risk of getting stuck with uh, somebody uh, like that. And the last thing is, I think that you need to make be very explicit and visible about what the party stands for, so that there's a clear contrast with uh, those ideas. So you make it clear that the party is opposed to racism. It opposes bigotry. Um, it favors immigration. And these things so that so that some of those folks will not feel that they have a uh, a, a welcoming home. Uh, Joe, also- Joe do, do continue on with your thought, but I would also ask you. Um, you know, Karen in the comments is like, I agree with Mark, but they're literally members of the party. And when my friends and family ask about these coffin tweets, what am I supposed to say? Like, I'm sure that in your vast experience, there have been times where other people go. Hey, look at this crazy libertarian. What do you think of this? I mean, how do you deal with that? A lot of times, quite frankly, it it sounds terrible for me because it almost sounds like I'm defending them and I'm not. Um, Republicans have their David Duke. Okay. The Democrats have their, you know, uh, extreme. Used to be uh, Lyndon LaRouche. Yes, from our era. It was Lyndon LaRouche. Okay. Every party has their nutcases. Okay. I agree with Mark. You don't let them win any, um, win any position of authority. Okay. And when they say they're libertarian, my response is usually, I can't help who labels themselves a libertarian. Okay. I have no control over that. We have no purity police. Okay, but I can make damn sure that he holds no position of authority. And quite frankly, if and I've recruited candidates I don't agree with just to make sure that the people have a, in the party have a choice because they would bitch about a candidate. I don't like this candidate. I don't like this candidate. Well, you know what? You can't beat someone with no one. Okay, and if you don't like them, then you have a responsibility not just to sit there and bitch. Okay, you have a responsibility. Go find someone better. Okay, um, 
we've had to do that many times. Okay. And in Indiana, at least we always have NOTA. And we're not afraid to let NOTA win. Okay. That's the way it has to be sometimes. Okay. But the idea is, oh, this guy's terrible. Yes, he is. He's scum. Okay. And I've told some of the people, um, the only difference between some of these people I'm seeing and my relatives, because my family came over in 1928 from Germany. In World War I, we were on the other side. Okay? <laughs> my grandfather got the Iron Cross at Jutland, fighting the British. Okay? Um, the, the only difference between my, some of my relatives and some of the people I see now is my relatives preferred armbands over hats. Okay? Um, no, these people are, are bad. Okay? But unless they are violating what we believe in, just because they, they think ugly things. And part of this, in all honesty, Chris, is a generational thing. Terms have changed. Okay? What, what does the term bigot mean to you? I guarantee it means something different to your parents. Okay? What the term tolerant means to you is a different word to your parents. Well, obviously, yeah. tolerance is bigotry, Joe. I'm aware of that. No, I'm just <laughs> Well, let me let me I'm let not me, joking. No, I'm I, not joking. I, I agree with you. I think that politics has changed since I got into it. Um you know, we in the comment section here, one person says Arvin, and I do think it's funny that Arvin, I criticized Arvin when he was vice chair, saying this is a this is too far. And Arvin was like just saying, "Oh, don't be in the military on memorial day and we were all outraged and we've defined decency down now so far that we're all like you know what the child slavery thing uh you know it's i i think we've we've kind of let our standards slip about what is acceptable or what is not and i know i've pissed off the mises people now so let me piss off the anti-takeover people i think if you engage with your local mises person all right go to your local talk to them some of those people may be ugly people but not all of them, right? Like I think that the, the I, I think the idea. Oh, no. I, and in fact, I think I think you're talking about a tiny minority, right? That are that, are, that are on Twitter that are really ugly people. Trust me, yeah. I've I've been hit by them. You know, I think, but I think the mistake that the the Prague wing has made is trying to paint all p- members of the Mises Caucus as just bigots and racists, and right. I and 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 they I don't know, know. That that's not the case. They know from the people they've talked to that that's not the case. Therefore, it discounts the whole argument. Right. Yeah. My my always thought was you should be looking for the good ones in that in that caucus, praise them, and then kind of try to isolate them or bring them out of the other people who are are negative and so, and get them to see when you start attacking them as a group as a whole as a board like that. Well, you, yeah. Well, you start to or, or, or give them there. reasons to fight against you. You 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 become the enemy, right? And every every group that kind of is put together the way that that group is put together, um, by Michael, he he's he's got a flair for doing certain things that are easier, but they're not going to last. I don't think they're going to last as long because they're based off of uh, more division divisive stuff. But what he does is he he victim complex is very strong. So if you start attacking them as a group, they see that as an attack against all of them. That includes them. They're not that way. So why are you attacking me? Then it becomes personal. 
then you start seeing which is what um, happened with he and I and so them. and yeah. so you know you take somebody like Trisha who was in the Mises caucus joins the network gets so attacked by these some of these folks that she just like I'm not coalitioning with these people I've seen their ugly side now and I'm moving on and you know it's that was a a friendly voice that you chased out but I think there is a win and if they they get leadership, they're going to have a hard time maintaining that that edge that, you know, you become the establishment at that point. Um, so, all right, I, Reinhold, we're an hour in, and uh, let me just take a break, all right? When, when we come back, Reinhold has been preparing for this his whole life because every, like, <laughs> other day he's like, we need to talk about the Dallas Accords. And I keep going. <laughs> Nobody gives a Just flying crap about your Dallas Accords, but at, people might actually care about the Dallas Accords. So you're finally going to get your moment to talk about the Dallas Accords with the fellas right after we take this break. Uh, we will be right back, and then we're going to talk about some of the other great kerfuffles in Libertarian Party history. <laughs> Welcome back to the Chris Spangle Show. It is so great to have you here. This is the program that pisses off most libertarians by just trying to be level-headed and normal, which is no longer allowed, I don't think. Uh, but uh, we, you know, thank you for staying through the break. We're going. I know when we tease the Dallas Accords, most people go, "Oh," but Reinhold, I'm going to let you kind of guide the conversation. Let's start with the Dallas Accords and talk about some of these great uh, conv- convulsions, if you will. So, like, what were the Dallas Accords? And then toss it to them to kind of give their opinion of it. Well, I, I think we, we can start with that, but it's it's really more a case of um, all the different times that the same kind of conflict has come back and in, in like a circle inside the party because people don't ever learn from the history. So they just keep repeating the same thing over and over again. But the, the Dallas Accords, I think was a, was a good start because that was where a lot of factionalization was starting to happen. And they came together and came up with an accords that we weren't going to require um, anarchists or not anarchists to be what libertarianism is. It was so, so was spectrum. it, all right, let's break it down. Like, was it the, the, the very beginning of the party and it was like are we going to be pragmatic and work with local governments or are we going to light buildings on fire uh, joe jump in you look like you know what the um no i understand this is actually even before my time okay so the dinosaurs oh were still roaming um but what it is as i understand it if you look at the statement of principle you will note that it says government where it exists, okay? In other words, it does not acknowledge that government should exist, okay? It just acknowledges that government may exist. The anarchists didn't want at any point for us to say that government, we were going to let government exist, okay? And yet the minarchists, one, accepted government, and two, knew, even they knew you couldn't sell anything, a political party that didn't believe in, in government. So the key is you had to say government where it existed. 
as opposed to just saying government shall. So is this like the whole route is the, the, the end game is basically the whole split that sets up Rothbard versus Crane, Mises versus Prags, you know, Rutherford versus the world. Right. We have no interest at that. Even at that time, there was very little interest in what was actually occurring. Okay, we were fighting over how many private roads we could build on the head of a pin. Okay, um, wasn't there like a moon nothing... thing in the in the statement of principles or something like some moon base plank? Oh, we, when I was on the when I was on the um, platform committee, the three things that we were arguing about were the moon treaty, <laughs> whether or not we should just repudiate the national debt, just say screw it, we're not going to pay anybody back. Okay, and whether or not we were just going to give the country back to the Indians or we're going to pay them for it. Right. So that was the that was the platform I got to deal with. Yeah, the 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 biggest thing was the the, the sort of the agreement from everybody that the, the fundamental of the Dallas Accord is that the party is not going to take a position on how much government if any, is the ideal. What we agree on is that it's a whole lot less than what we have now. That is, essentially, we agree on a direction and we agree to disagree on how far in that direction we want to go. Martin, and essentially, yeah. if you think about where was, we are, it's, it's meaningless to even talk about it. We're so far from that point that, you know, after we get rid of all the things that we all agree on that government shouldn't be doing, then we can have a discussion about the things that are left. In fact, we have to get rid of a half a century of government growth to get back to the point that they were at mm-hmm. when they were having that discussion. Yeah. I always kind of described it as like a, we have this big boat that's going one direction and the left and the right are both steering it right down over the right to radio of the cliff, right off the edge of the world. And we're those libertarians trying to wrestle control back to get that boat turned back around. And what we're doing is we're doing like the three stooges grabbing each other to fit, fight. Who's going to be the one to help turn the boat around. Meanwhile, the boat's still going right off the, the cliff. Mark, does it, I mean, coalitioning is a choice. You have to coalition with somebody. You have to choose to coalition with them. You know, there, there are points, you know, is it, does it seem like that, tacit agreement to coalition between minarchists and anarchists has frayed to a point that is broken permanently are we looking at two parties like or or do you think that this can be brought back together chris i couldn't hear anything of what you said something went wrong okay can you hear me now i can now okay so you know the, the coalitioning is a choice and anarchists and minarchists in the beginning chose to coalition together because what were their options Does it feel like that choice to coalition is permanently broken, or do you think that this will be brought back together? I think it's brought back together and it's still there. Um, It's amazing the number of people I work with who I would call anarchists, who we work to get people elected. They're they're looking to change things. They're looking to you know get it in a more direction where maybe someday that it will be less government and. For their children or children's children, there might be some resemblance of anarchy here and there in the good sense, not the not the bad name that was given to it. Um, 
And I'm not going to name anybody, but several of them just, they admit it. That's who they are. But then we're working on a political campaign on a candidate that's not 100% their cup of tea, not mine either, but we like the candidate and we think the candidate, if elected, would do a good job and help both of us achieve our goals. I have no problem uh, with anarchists, I and I'd love, I'd love to be an anarchist. I just, I've always said this, but I never feel like that is a two-way street. Why are anarchists assholes? Uh, that's my question. <laughs> well, not all of them are. That's a reformed an- anarchist. <laughs> the, the, uh, I think it's more yeah, like... Uh, Ryan, think, Reinhold think is a reformed anarchist and a present asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, right? Yeah, that'll, that'll never go away. And, I, and uh, I think the the, 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 fight, the the fights have been worse than they are now. Really? Um, we've, we've gone through worse times than this. Um, and again, the thing that when we get united is when we get the, the times we've been really well united. For example, in 83, the party was actually very united going into that convention <laughs> until the consensus. No, until the consensus candidate dropped out a week before the convention, and then the two factions uh, each got behind their own uh, person. But mm. they ha- there was a candidate that both the, the Crane and Koch forces and the Rothbard forces all agreed with. There was uh, Gene Burns, who was a radio host at the time. Mm-hmm. He was very effective as a communicator, very persuasive, and his analogy was the freedom train. You know, and it's going in the right in the direction we can get on and you can get off when 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 it gets to a point where you feel comfortable. But, you know, we all unite together because we all want to go in the same general uh, direction. And so everybody was united there. They broke apart when he uh, dropped out. Uh, there was, this a, was a pretty strong. Unity, I would say um, the first Harry Brown campaign. Uh, that the, the party came together pretty well. Uh, there was, you know, he, he had broad support from both the pragmatic and um, uh, radical uh, wings. And and we see that when we talk about direction, and we see that when we talk about being effective in our communication, being professional. Um, And where we run into trouble is when we get people with the attitude of it's my way or the highway. So, so talk more um, yeah. about 1983. What happened? Uh, I'll open it up. I mean, who, first person to take it, let us know. Okay, oh, just J- Joe. The, uh, Joe, the, go the ahead. Joe, okay. Joe, and then Steve. Go ahead, Joe. Okay, uh, Gene Burns was the consensus candidate. He was very articulate. Um, he dropped out. There are different stories as to why both sides blame the other. Um, and the party's and, only ten uh, years old at this point. We should say so. It's very new. Yeah. It's very new, um, but what happened was um, he dropped out, and this was before the Internet. So he dropped out, and most of the delegates did not know it. So we had people arriving in New York thinking it was going to be a coronation convention, and suddenly it is a convention with no front, not only no front runners, we didn't even know who was running. Hmm. You know, we literally had people walking around the hotel room and you know, a hotel hallway saying, I'm in search of a candidate. Okay, They literally had no idea who was running. And it was a convention where when everything fell apart, you had people literally buying delegates off the street in New York City. Okay, bring it, you know, paying their convention to come in off. Okay, 
let's just say things were a lot looser in those days. Uh, we had at least one delegate sitting from Canada in Indiana. Um, <laughs> stuff still goes on today. Yeah, it sounds uh, familiar. Less so. Yeah, less so. yeah it's a little, little so. more formal, yeah. Yeah, um, but it, it, it was absolute insanity. Um, and the it was really more a power play. Um, and it was all about uh, fighting the octopus, the octopus. Mm. is really what it was. The, perf- well, the Go ahead, Steve. I was going to say, I think what you, you ended up breaking up into the one group which had the, 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 the Coke crane group that had the uh, experience, the expertise, sort of the professionalism and the money and the fundraising. But the person, they were running somebody who was a, um, a professor from Georgetown who had, I think, just recently joined the party, had mm. no real history, and was not particularly articulate in, I mean, he tended to be long-winded professor type. And then on the other side, you had David Berglund, who had been the uh, VP candidate in, in 76, knew the philosophy, knew how to um, explain the ideas. Not a, not a particularly good, good speaker to large groups, but very good one-on-one. But essentially had no money, you know, some local activists were the, his, his base of support. And a lot of people were weighing between is, okay, do you want to have a candidate that we're pretty sure knows the philosophy and isn't going to make any uh, major screw ups, but has no money and no campaign team, or do you want somebody with the campaign team and money, but we're not quite sure what we're going to get, uh, on when he's doing an interview and Mary was also in the middle of that. Right. And, and, and Mary was the, the sort of the placeholder for those of us that really weren't, weren't sure which of these two options was the, uh, the least, you know, the, the better of the two options. Right. So what ended up happening? I mean, how, and, and where does Rothbard fit in all this? <laughs> well, I, the, the, uh, the, Joe, you should tell the, the, the little story about the, uh, the, the Cougarans. Okay. Then, uh, <laughs> um, the, the story um, was that they kept uh, having votes, and in those days, it wasn't a 5%. It was basically every um, vote, they dropped the bottom candidate. And mm-hmm. there are some other just names in there. So we had gone through a couple of, uh, um, couple of rounds, and they opened it up to the top two to give a speech. Mary could have given a speech, but we couldn't get her out of the bathroom. Um, she was basically in there hiding. Um, <laughs> what? Why? It was not her finest hour. Oh, okay. Um, All right. We'll, we'll move on. <laughs> we'll move on. Okay. Okay. Um, and Ravenall was his name, right, Steve? Yeah, Earl Ravenall. Earl Ravenall gave one of the most condescending speeches I have ever heard in my life. It was typical... East Coast elite, um, stop playing around. If you people are serious, you're going to stop this bickering and you're just going to nominate me. Okay. Otherwise, this is, you know, otherwise you're just, just, just playing. And I at that time was on the, um, shall we say, the Coke team. And I went up to David Coke and I said, Your guy just shot us in the foot. I said, There's absolutely zero way. Okay, that he's going to get the nomination now. 
Okay. I said, uh, you know, even if you think they're peons, you don't tell them they're peons before they cast their vote. Um, and I'm sure you've seen people, um, I'm trying to get where you can see it, you know, play with, play with quarters. Have you ever seen people like have a stack of quarters and just playing with them in their hands? Yeah. Um, players with chips, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, David uh, Koch was doing that with Krugerrands. Okay. <laughs> Which I, for those of you who don't know, are at that time were South African one ounce gold coins. Okay. Yeah. And he was just playing with those. And he goes, you know, doesn't money count for anything? And I said, yes, it counts for something, but not everything to these people. And you have just called them nothing. Your candidate has just called them nothing. Okay. And uh, so, no, Ravenel did not carry it. But between Ravenel and Noda, Berglund did not get a majority on that vote. So we had to go to a, another round of voting where David Berglund became the libertarian presidential candidate by beating Noda. By one vote, as Mark said, one vote does make a difference. One vote. And one then, vote over NODA. And what happened after that vote came in? Oh, a lot of the a lot of the a lot of the Coke people left. Uh, mm-hmm. Not not the delegates supporting the, the the candidates, but a lot of the the key people. They went to basically focus their efforts on uh, on uh, Cato and. Uh, and the like. I, I see and, a lot uh, of that now. It's like there's a lot of frustration, a lot of quitting, a lot of like, and, and uh, frankly, I've been there. I mean, 2013, I was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm, I'm tired of this BS. I'll start, I'll go focus on We Are Libertarians. And I, I really haven't been that actively involved since then. Um, and I have and, to say, that, that kind of shedding is not a bad thing. Hey. Um, Cato has been a huge, yeah. huge influence in the libertarian movement. Um, but you have to understand, in those days, you know, Mary was right in terms of educating, okay, because there was nobody else. I mean, there was us, there was Fee, and there was SIL. And to my knowledge, basically, that's it. You know, um, Fee, I'm sure you know, is basically an economic think tank. And SIL was the first youth group, which was started ba- basically a break off of the Goldwater Youth, and three anarchist chapters of SDS that joined together to oppose the war. And that was the first libertarian youth group. Okay, so we've always been coalitions. Okay, and there was nobody else. Now we've got uh, nonprofits up the wazoo. Yeah, I mean, okay. so when I when I say like the takeover language is especially offensive to people in the longtime libertarian community, the party, it's like you're undermining the spirit of the coalitional nature because we're more like Democrats. You've got your Hispanic caucus, your Black caucus, your you know your your unions. They all caucus together to fight for a common goal, which is to get the Republicans out. Where Republicans are much more top down ideological, and that's why I see a lot of Republicans coming from in, not not like country club Republicans, but like online Republicans watch 
Tucker and believe him, Republicans, they come to the Libertarian Party and they want to try and they, that's what they know, right? It's supposed to be top down ideology. My ideology is supposed to be supreme and they don't get the, 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 like the culture here. So any, any final thoughts on 83 or, or should we move on to like the next? I want to do, I, I want to do 2012. So I don't know if well, there was Steve like was another at, big one. Steve was at 83 because he was part of the uh, Libertarian, uh, single room delegation what what should we um, take away from that steve like what was the lesson from 1983 and is that worse than what we're going through now um well i don't know that it was i mean it was there was a sharper split but um and and the the, the party went through a real decline in terms of of um of uh, fundraising and there was a membership decline it took uh you know it took at least uh probably about four years for that to really finish bottoming out and uh, coming back, uh, coming back up again. But um, the, uh, you know, the, uh, we, we, the next time around the, uh, the candidate who ended up uh, winning the nomination was uh, Ron Paul uh, in, in 87. And uh, so that was, Again, that he had the backing of it was interesting. He had the backing of Rothbard and some of those folks, uh, which was kind of interesting because he was a, a obviously a pretty radical uh, uh, candidate, or he was the more establishment candidate of the two. The other person running was uh, Russell Means. Yeah, why why um, is Ron Paul considered radical when he collected a government paycheck and like passed laws? Like why why do we why do we view him? He he, he, he was. Uh, you know, he, he sort of uh, wasn't afraid to, uh, you know, say, you know, the drug war was bad or um, uh, the, the currency was, uh, uh, the, the Fed was corrupt. You know, there, there's. Was that things was that people were. Blunt. I, 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 I Right. Like, I know when blunt. I got in, like, in 2008, and, like, nobody would talk about weed. Like, don't talk about weed. That's what our opponents hang us with. So nobody talked about weed. Like, there was a lot of message sensitivity in the late 2000s. Which, which I think is. Which was a which was a big mistake the other direction. We 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 cannot. There there is a group among the um, sort of the the moderate pragmatist group that wants us to sound just you know just a little bit different than the Democrats and Republicans. Well, there's there's no reason to get involved in a third party if you're only offering a marginal uh, right. difference. Right. So that you know you have to be bold. But bold is not the same thing as obnoxious. Um, well, bold is not the same thing as offensive. There's, um, a Crane, there's an Ed Crane quote, I think he said, where you should be as um, outrageous or as, as bold as you can be in your messaging while still being relevant to the conversation. Exactly. Exactly. Joe, you wanted to weigh in? Then we'll go to Mark. Yeah. Well, two, two things on it. One, um, I, hate, I hate to disagree with Steve. But as the time has gone on, the Republicans and Democrats have gotten so absurd in their marketing. Yeah. Okay. I would argue that the radical is, um, quite frankly, being rational. Okay. And being central. Uh, I would argue right now that one of the problems we have that the Mises caucus has, in my opinion. Okay. And it's all comes from Ron Paul is too many people just view us as an adjunct of the right. Right. We are not a right-wing party. 
Absolutely okay? not. Really? We are not. Okay. And before Ron Paul, we never were. Now, yeah, we've all we focused more on uh, economics because in the seventies, that was the issue. Okay. You people are worried about the inflation might go up. Okay. Back in the seventies, a lot of people, a lot of us didn't buy houses because mortgage rates were twenty one percent. Okay. So, gas. You it know, was, it was not a good time. So as a result, yeah, in those in those days, we focused on economics. Okay, but right now the Republicans sure as hell aren't small government economics. The Democrats aren't small government economics. Okay, what the people are most interested in right now are quite frankly, keeping their kids alive and keeping them out of jail. Okay. And that's where we can get in yeah, and we right. can sound reasonable. Yeah. Uh, you know? So let's talk about 2012. Cause I, I uh, don't want to be here all night and I'm sure our, our guests don't either. And we probably all have to go to the bathroom. Um, and if anybody needs a, ba- a bathroom break, let me know. Um, so Mark, you know, you, you listening to Dasbach there at the end, um, it, you know, talking about, well, so I'll title this section, the Prague takeover, the pragmatist takeover, which we didn't even call ourselves that you got labeled with the cabal, right. uh, you, you and, and Wayne Allen Root had run as vice president in 2008. And then in 2010 sought the chairmanship it, that just infuriated um I, I guess we can't talk about your race for chair and losing by one vote thanks nick without talking about wayne allen root and angela keaton and some of the stuff that kind of happened leading up to that and bob Barr. um you're you're coming off of you know we've talked about all right well we've got this radio show host and he's a libertarian and we've got mary Ruart running and we've got Dave Berglund, all these people, and and they're fairly kind of homegrown people. But then you start in the 90s, you start getting, um, uh, well, you have Harry Brown and that period. I wish we had more time. We'll have to have you guys back to talk about some of these campaigns maybe. But you get Bob Barr, and Bob Barr was an extremely divisive figure because Bob Barr had prosecuted Clinton for, um, and then had to resign because of his own affairs Work came out in impeachment. He had authored DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act. He had, uh, I mean, he was a Christian conservative Republican and then became a libertarian and mea culpa and joins the LNC. So I don't know if you're the person to talk about kind of the, the bar years and, and what led up, but I think we kind of need to take three minutes, four minutes to talk about the LNC fights over Barr, Angela Keaton, before and Wayne Allen Root before we can kind of get to, to your race. Uh, would you like to take that question? Well, sure, I'll take that question. I'm a lawyer. Um, the, the, <laughs> uh, so, the boys, thing, buckle up. We're not getting an answer. <laughs> yeah, you won't get an answer. Um, the, 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 the Barr and Root were perceived as um, – coming from being Republicans probably is the best way to describe it. Um, I got to know Wayne real well. I got to know Bob real well. And um, it, it's, it, it's my, it was called the cabal, but it's my Prague sensibilities that I accept all types of 
stripes from the Libertarian Party, as long as they can communicate well, they're not mean, they don't alienate people, they can move us forward and they can do what they say they can do and are competent in certain things. Yeah, that prag label basically, but yeah, because we all kind of went, well, we're just more pragmatic. And so then it developed the pragmatic caucus and the prags today, in my opinion, are not the same as the Indiana, Ohio region three, you know, pragmatist of, of the 2000s, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of the development of that word. So when we use it, we're not yeah. necessarily using it in the same way. No, we're not using it in the same way, not at all. But uh, but they were divisive because of their backgrounds, where they came from. Wayne Root was a good communicator who sometimes, well, no, not sometimes, too often stepped over the edge and made people mad. Uh, so there was a lot of trying to get him not to do that. Um, but he, he couldn't help himself, and that was too bad. So that was a flaw that he had, in my opinion. Um, and that alienated a lot of people. And it also especially got very, very worried uh, people who are more philosophical. And they look to see to educate through the party, which I don't think really works. But they think it was really, really important and got them all up in arms about it. And people like Angela Keaton, I mean, Angela Keaton and I talked and we had an awful lot in common. She, she was surprised when we started talking one day and found out we had a lot in common. Um, but she's with she anti, anti-war, anti-war.com and anti-war.com. Uh, great anti-war mm-hmm. activist. And, yeah. and, uh, so she was eventually, but she kicked off the LNC. What I don't think that? so. I don't recollect that, but a lot of people have had instances with the LNC. I think she just quit. I think okay. she didn't like it. Um, thought she could be effective elsewhere. And she was probably right with antiwar.com. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we had criminal justice commonalities and stuff, but we had a big fight between those type of forces. And there are a lot of people who want to be more bold uh, with, with the more uh, uh, radical, not, I don't like the term radical because I believe in it, uh, but the, the more messaging that's more kind of uh, not stick in the eye, but m- more edgy on that, especially on social issues and anti-war, et cetera. Um, so that's kind of what I, I was guess I would, the way I would put that mark is that we were looking at who is the best target market and how do we market to those people? And a lot yes. of, a lot of the opposition was going, I want more people involved like me. That's, that's exactly right. Um, and the people that were being new people being reached out to and coming into our, uh, what should be a bigger base was it scared them and it was diluting what they were doing. I think Um, uh, I'm not going to be critical of them because some of them are still friends um, and uh, I still do stuff with them and we work together on them. But I think there was a big fear that they're being uh, uh, overcome or overtaken. And that wasn't the whole idea. The whole idea, which with, with root um, and the bar was, more visible national speakers, more visibly nationally. Very good. Barr was better communicator, not going over the edge when he ran, in my opinion, than Root did as vice president, and then when he ran for chair. Um, so that's kind of the background really quickly about those two, and it's very important because that was still in the air in 2012, and I was very much associated with Root. Uh, and Root was uh, still involved with my campaign, and he was involved seeking an at-large seat uh, on the Libertarian National Committee. So he was very much in play, and those people were still very, very worried about what we were doing. And I was looking, and Chris, you, you played a huge role in my campaign. You were a big leader in my campaign. Thank you. Um, and did an incredible amount of work. Um, I hope that you don't— No, no, no. Uh, stop, stop. Go yeah. on. Go on. No. 
but but I mean, I'm, uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just, so, I'm, I'm just, I'm just no, 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 so, stop, stop, stop. Go on. Stop, stop, stop. Uh, yeah. No, I would say that uh, the the reaction to Mises has worked itself. It, it works itself. Uh, it's worked itself into a position where people are every they're, they're like hypersensitive. And that was the case yeah. with you. You know, you walked into was- 20. 2008 led to 2010 and by the time you walk yes. into 2012 in las vegas you know there's like devil horns on all the slate yes. and here's all the cabal members oh. and they really worked themselves up from those three conventions into thinking that there was a lot of one of the hit pieces on me which i still have which i think is really kind of cool now i said the, the you know the 39 laws of power cabal and there was 12 of us including me in the picture on that I mean, they were very sensitive, very scared of us, and that they were going to lose something, that we were going to do something horrible to them. And what they didn't get is what we would do horrible to them is we'd ask them to run for office and support them. Um, <laughs> and I, that's not really being sarcastic at all. Right. Um, but it was 50-50, and the vote was 50-50. I lost to none of the above by one vote. If I'm in the history books, that's kind of cool. Um, Nick that, Sarwark. Mm-hmm. And who, so, who like lost? Hold Berlin, on. Hold on. Won, hold I on. Barely lost. Who lost by one vote in New Hampshire because of Noda? Mm-hmm. Nominates from the floor, none of the above, because you were running against Mark Hinkle, and I still have the button. You know, it was, it was so contentious that Mark Hinkle's buttons were "Don't vote for Mark Hinkle." Uh, who was the? Who were the other candidates that you were running again in twenty twelve? Oh, I don't remember now because it really was between Hinkle and me. And Hinkle represented the half of the LNC and half of the party, and I represented the other half, and it was a battle. Yeah, um, and, and that was he really the, the incumbent. Two. What was it, Mark? The incumbent? Yes, Mark, Mark was the Mark incumbent. Was, Mark was chair. Did yeah. Jeff Neal win? When was Jeff Neal chair? Neal that was after the Nota. After, After the Noda, he was, okay. you know, Hinkle and I and whoever else was running, I don't remember offhand, uh, they got enough votes to keep Hinkle from getting I – mean, he came in second, but I, I was the one who made it through the last round uh, against Noda. But it, it, we did have to vote, and you know, Hinkle and I couldn't run because they had spoken. We couldn't get 50% plus one. Um and uh, so Jeff eventually ended up with that. Jeff was a prior a, a national chair. Was it um, one of what is that one of the Indiana people asleep in the room? And that's um, another. No, she was in the restroom. Okay, <laughs> she was she was almost on the verge of tears. I know. I, I'm not going to name that. And, and, and by the way, I and, and I have to also to add it, uh, a couple there because that I, there have been three conventions I didn't make it to, and that was one of the three. It, hey. It's the way it works. That's the way it is. You've got to come with 50 plus one and have to expect somebody to be in the bathroom during voting. Um, people have no idea. What, I mean, these young whippersnappers have no idea what a convention is like. And I, I would talk to people and I'd be like, you don't have call lists. You don't know. You don't have identified mm-hmm. where people are at. You're going to show up. A third of the conventions are going to be undecided people like you need. Mm-hmm. You need to be on the ball on some of this stuff. I, I guess the the. The reality is going into Reno that apparently a lot of the, I mean, you have to give credit to the Mises Caucus for driving out a lot of new people. When you have four or five hundred people show up in Pennsylvania to go to another state's convention, not cool that you tried to vote, but cool that you all showed up and went. Like, that's great. And, you know, the good thing, Mark, because I think the difference in, and maybe you can talk about the difference in vision between 
the old LNC and the people who had been there a long time and had their their view of how it ought to operate and ballot access, right. and then your view of electing people and that kind of different fresh vision and why that felt but, threatening. But yeah. the, uh, the the reality is is that a lot of these people that are seen as radical are all about electing people, and and the more once the more moderates right. kind of hit hit the people that you spawned into the party, which really kind of did take over in a lot of ways. Uh, uh, yeah, I, the party is the Good most news. I've ever seen it about electing people all in so many different areas about electing libertarians. I've seen a dramatic cultural shift. I've, and, and so I'm pretty bullish about the LP in the long term. But we're going to have these. We're going to have more of these. I'm glad you mentioned ballot access because that was a big thing in 2012. Um, I thought the party was too much em- emphasis on just ballot access. And ballot access, I think, is very, very important. But it was a step to also elect people, and we were doing ballot access fairly well. And so we should now be working to try to get more people elected and run them and have a support system uh, th- that would allow for that. Uh, the standards being more professionalism, more communicating to do that. There are people, I mean, there are people who are great at ballot access and have done it well. And I thought it was time to keep that going well and let's move on and let's start electing some local people. All right. Uh, anything else you want to say about 2012? Do either of the anybody else want to weigh in? The only thing I'll add is that um, it was um, I, um, I I had supported um, uh, Bob Barr in uh, 2008. I thought he had a really uh, good uh, Paul on the road to Damascus story in terms of huh? changing his view on the uh, drug war, which sadly after he was nominated. He just sort of ran a very bland uh, campaign, uh-huh. trying to not say anything offensive. And, you know, frankly, if he had focused on some of those things uh-huh. that where he had changed his view, it would have been more newsworthy. He would have gotten more attention and more votes. Um, Rain Allen Root, uh, I did not trust. Uh, he struck me as a, a slick used car salesman. Um I, despite the fact that I normally try to support the uh, the, the choice of the uh, presidential candidate, I could not support Mr. Root in uh, 2008. And uh, so, uh, yeah, no, I mean, look where, he's, <laughs> look, look where he's at now. I mean, I learned a valuable yeah, lesson from him in that you can't be a commentator and a party functionary at the same time. That was an important lesson for me, and it drove him to quit because he was banshied out. Um but yeah, he was driven. They he need was to driven out. He was one hundred percent driven out. Yeah, but he was one. He was he was on the verge of being where he needed to be. But then he made the decision that everybody's a bunch of jerks, and quite frankly, and he went away. I'm, and it's like, well, yeah, to you they have been. So I see why you're leaving. Okay, so um, my final, you know, my final question to you guys is that. Are, are we existing in a libertarian party that is an anemic party that is missing so much strength because we drive so many people out due to infighting? How are we to think about infighting in the libertarian party and that close? I mean, at this point now, I don't care that much. Like, I'll vote libertarian. I'll go to meetings. I, you know, I'll tell people it's a great investment of your time to get to know other libertarians. Um, and, you know, but... It sucks sometimes. <laughs> and I, I don't know how to tell people, like, it's hard for me to say go join the Libertarian Party when you may get a lot of shit and it's not worth it sometimes. What, what do you say to, to, to me or to the people who think like me and 
don't want to get driven out by the infighting. I think first we, off, go ahead, see. I, I was just say first off, um, the impetus comes to the leadership in each of each of the state affiliates to create a culture that doesn't have that occurring. Mm-hmm. Which again, Indiana has done as as good a job as any other affiliate that I've seen in terms of having that more inclusive uh, culture. And the second is if we're if we're more focused on bringing in new people, then there is going to be less less opportunity to uh, focus on driving people away. Um, and that that's where I think that the that, that's the real criticism that I have of where the party's been at um, over the last um, frankly twenty years is that we have not been putting enough emphasis in terms of reaching out to those. 30 to 60 million people that are out there that already agree with us and we they're out there. Why aren't we reaching out to them? Uh, again, we just had in, in our state in, in South Carolina where I live now, um, there were a little over 4,000 people that voted for uh, Joe Jorgensen. Uh, 600 people in the state pulled a straight, uh, I'm sorry, in our County, 4,000 in our County voted for Joe 600 in our county uh, pulled a straight libertarian uh, ticket, and uh, uh, I'm going to miss this, the count the uh, the county meeting this this weekend while we're on vacation. But the the question I posed to them was, how do we reach those people? Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's more people in one county than we have active in the entire state. Mm. They're there. We just have to find them. Yeah, I think. Well, Nick has apologized for not always living up to this. Uh, the solution to uh, what, what's the phrase? The, the the solution to infighting is dilution, something along those yes. lines. And yeah, I, yeah, yeah. No, and I still exactly believe right. that. You know, right. I still I still think that the goal is to recruit new people in any business and any organization. You have to be recruiting. I mean, my job at the as an executive director for four years was recruiting, recruiting candidates, recruiting county affiliates, recruiting new volunteers, yep. recruiting new. Facebook followers, recruit, you know, it's, it's recruiting and, and you have to be hyper focused on that. And that's where the advocates for self government excelled, uh, and their outreach tools. And that's why we keep the spirit of Marshall Fritz alive here. Definitely, if you've enjoyed this episode, go listen to my episode with Ken Bassan, uh, a personal history of the libertarian movement with Ken Bassan and, and learn more about positive messaging. Because I think you guys are right in that. If you focus on what you don't like about the other people in your party, you don't win. But when you focus on the positive, optimistic vision to, for the future and recruit people for that to to make that happen, then you win. Um, Joe, your your solution. How should we think about infighting? Is it a reason not to join? It's. I hate to say it's one of two possible paths for us. Okay. I hate to say it, the one who has been the most successful at this point is the Mises Caucus. Sure. Because they've been recruiting. The problem is nobody else seems to have decided what the market is that they're going for. Yeah. You know, the Mises Caucus has picked a market. Now, I personally, you know, just as an individual, think it's the wrong market. Okay, I do not think our future is to try to be more obnoxious than the right wing of the Republican Party. <laughs> okay, um, I I really loved the Colt Forty Five people because um, 
Mark was saying, for some of these people, we were the last stop. Some of the more obnoxious people. We now have someone, some place further down the track to send them. It's called the Republican Party. Yeah. Okay. I see no point in trying to move to be the stop after them. Why, why split that market when that exactly. market exists already? Exactly. Right. Yeah, my, Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Uh, right? our, exactly. our, our, our market, in my opinion, is the small business owner. It is. Uh-huh. It, it is families. It is people who who see the radical solutions of the Republican and Democratic Party for what they are and want reasonable, rational uh, options to fight that, to oppose that. Yes. And, we, and I can tell you, that's why New Hampshire right. is such a, a stepping on the dick moment. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, I was going to say, in my opinion, what it boils down to is we have to become the radical center. Okay. And this is where I, I may disagree with most libertarians Okay, that fact. I'm starting to call myself like I'm, I'm joining Milton Friedman and reclaiming the term liberal. I, me too. Okay, hey, Reinhold, big fan. Uh-huh. You uh-huh. know, I mean, they, they're calling themselves progressives. Fine, let's grab it back before they they do it again. You know, I'm a classical liberal. Okay, government is too big. We know that. Every most people know that. And if there's areas they think it should be bigger, almost everyone has at least some place they want it smaller. Okay, our job is to find those places and focus on that. Okay, the idea of cutting down the tree, you know, the idea of, you know, we've got to cut at the root of, you know, of the of the tree. That's fine. We forget everyone lives in the damn tree. Okay, most people will not allow us. This is a democracy, a democracy, quote, you can't see it. My both hands are in there. Okay, democracy. This is a democracy. We can't just eliminate government and expect the people to back us. Okay, we've got to cut it back so they get used to being a little freer and then a little freer and then a little freer. And eventually they'll go, hmm, this seems to be working. Maybe we should try more of it. Okay, as opposed to say, oh, let's cut out all welfare. Okay. Or let's drug test everyone, even though it costs us 10 times as much to drug test as anyone cheating. You know, eight people are cheating on welfare. Okay. Well, let's talk about how many businesses are cheating on welfare. Okay. We're focusing on the wrong thing. We're going for people who are using our words to screw other people, in my opinion. Okay. But then again, I'm one of those rare people. I've actually become more, quote, liberal and compassionate in my old age. I'm inviting people on my lawn instead of kicking them off. <laughs> <laughs> um, Steve, did I give you – I'm I'm blanking here. Did you get a chance – I think Mark's the last one to go or – Go no, ahead, no, Steve. no. I, well, I, I, uh, I think I, uh, I, I disappeared there. Okay. So I don't know if uh, the uh, – uh, what was the uh, what was the question we're addressing here? As I yeah, just give your final died. give your final inspirational speech to the people. Well, I think they one thing we found in the uh, during the the Jorgensen campaign, and we found it the four years before in Gary Johnson's campaign, is the group that was most interested in uh, our, the Libertarian candidate were independents under the age of forty. Um, it's not former Democrats. It's not uh, Republicans. It's the people that look at both parties and say, I don't have a home there. And, uh, 
though those are the people we should be concentrating on because that's the future mark well we need to get more people involved as you know i like small business people for lots of reasons uh, including being one myself but i think we need to also work to not drag people into the inner workings of the party number one candidates are more important they're more fun the infighting can happen in campaigns but it's over with in november uh we should work for some of us who do well, who like it, who don't mind the politics. Uh, as a lawyer, all lawyers have to have a tough skin um, because you have judges telling you that you're wrong all the time. So we don't we drag them into too early into that process. Let me give you an example of last night. Uh, there was three of us from the rainwater campaign. We had bourbon out in the backyard in a great weather. We sat down. And probably 10% of our discussion was about libertarianism, and the 90% was everything else. Well, guess what? That was fun. And we've developed our connections, make them deeper. One was a guy who we just recruited a year ago, who's another attorney in town, very capable, doing a lot of good stuff already. But we're not dragging him into, we're not saying go to the state convention. In fact, we're not even suggesting stuff like that. until we know him well enough to know that he might actually like it. If he doesn't like it, uh, then we don't want him there. We don't want to turn him off because he's doing a great job elsewhere. We we need to be more careful about that. Focus on the candidates Uh, in the Republican and national uh, parties, uh, Democrat parties. Their insiders aren't as well known publicly as the candidates are. And so the infighting is kind of more in-house. And it's like you said, Chris, you go to four county parties, no one knows what the infighting is on national. Probably the way it should be, except for those people who have the experience and have gotten involved in those levels. And it's their job uh, to deal with the infighting because it's going to happen. We're human beings. And then just Let's say just to everybody, calm down. Don't worry about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, that the, the idea that because you show up consistently, you are in the right place or doing the right thing is wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we, you know, uh, this is a committed volunteer, but what have they achieved? Like, I, I think now that we have reached a level culturally, we have reached that, you know, there's 33% of the public is independent now. We've got to up our standards and say, you go, th- like you say, the square peg goes in the square mm-hmm. hole. Like, instead of trying to fit a bad messenger into a messaging position, and they're better for accounting, like... There's plenty of job opportunities. What I would always say to people is, tell me what your skill set is. Tell me what you enjoy doing so you have fun at this. Mm-hmm. And so you, you use your passion, your God-given skills and your traits to benefit the, the party and the movement as opposed to feeling the anxiety of trying to be a candidate when you're really a, a, really a good treasurer. Mm-hmm. You know? So there, there's plenty to do. There's tons to do. No, there are treasurers who do nothing but be treasurer, and they're happy. They like it. Oh, yeah. They're not involved in the infighting. They couldn't care less. I don't want them involved in infighting at all. Reinhold, thank you for planning the episode. Sorry I didn't let you talk at all, uh, but. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it goes. Oh, it's, I'd rather hear what the what these three have to say a lot more than hearing myself talk, but. Um, I'm sure we can get into more discussions on another show, but no, no, no. This uh, is your one I, shot at the Dallas Accords. It's been four years. Oh, he finally got his chance, and then I went. Yeah. Thanks, Reinhold. Uh, Joe. <laughs> so oh, no, 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 no. 
That's fine because I wasn't there. I mean, these people were more involved than I was at the time. So that, that's where we get the information from. And what I've come to, to terms on is that we've had infighting back and forth in this party because we're libertarians, because libertarians love to argue. Strong-willed, you know, independent-minded kind of, people right. dislike authority. Yeah, of course it's going to happen. People who are willing to be to identify as libertarian, they're trying to break away. They already have that mentality. They're, they're, they're that strong of a personality. Um, what I hate to see is that people trying to uh, recruit people and get people involved and in, in wanting to work towards liberty, but doing it the wrong way, doing it in a way that's divisive, that's us versus them. That's uh, That is a quick way to do it. It's easier to get people um, motivated when you're hitting emotional buttons. But I don't think it lasts. I, I think what we see and what we've seen in the cycle over and over again is that you can't maintain that. You can't sustain it. And the damage you do is is bad. And and while temporary, because eventually it all works itself out, it just then restarts the cycle again. And we need to stop starting that cycle up again and start learning that we are all in this together. Let's stop trying to gain power by uh, attacking our, ourselves and our and our own people. Let's focus on the enemy, the true enemy that's out there. And, and I think that's the way you And build. I preach that to you um, all the time, Ryan Holt. <laughs> <laughs> get off of twitter please for dear god <laughs> you're good i think i you know and I, I it drives you crazy i'm not saying like i think you know constantly fighting all this infighting checking your twitter and you're in the fights and you're in the comment section it it drives you to madness you know harry someone asked where harry was uh i invited him on and he didn't respond so he doesn't care about libertarian infighting um but you know, he's right when he says the the internet is like lead pipes in Rome. It's making people crazy. So check out, <laughs> get out. I, I, I my, okay. my, my, fun, go ahead, go ahead. I would say there's that new song, um, uh, American ladies that has, that talks a little bit about this, but they create, they've got this phrase in there called anti-social media. And I just, I love that phrase. And that's kind of what I call it from now on. Um, it's anti-social. Last comment is just, you know, when I was executive director of the Libertarian Party, it was the only good thing I had going in my life. I was it was my identity. I mean, I remember saying to Greg at one point, like, I don't know how not to be a libertarian, because when I left to go to Bob and Tom, I was like, I'm not a libertarian anymore. It's been my life for like five, six years. It was my whole being when Republican friends would criticize the Libertarian Party. I would take it like a, it was like a searing pain in my chest because you're personally criticizing me and. <laughs> The whole theme of the We Are Libertarians network, of the Chris Spangle show in particular, is that you've got to improve yourself. You've got to, you've got to build different identities. You've got to be out in the community, enriching yourself, enriching your community, and being personally healthy. Because that's what builds a strong libertarian society. And if you are reading comments about the Libertarian Party and fighting and you... If I don't win at Reno in the convention, it, my whole life is over. You really, really need to get help, and I don't mean that as a joke. I mean, like there is, uh, you know, my life. I'm several. I have several different identities um, and personalities, but you know, it, it, it's you just look at it and you go, well, that guy said some racist crap, and I'm not. I'm not for that. But all right, on to the thing that brings me joy and happiness and find balance in your life. I think that's the final thing. But 
All right. Thank you, guys. You guys were spectacular. We learned so much from Steve and Joe and Mark, and we really thank you guys so much. Um, I don't know if you guys want to be followed anywhere, you know, uh, but it, 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 do you want to self-promote at all? Uh, Mark, tell them about the law firm. I don't, I don't know if you oh, want to. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Thrasher Bushman Vocal PC in Indianapolis. And uh, you can find us at indiana-attorneys.com. Um, it's uh, it, it, I do all types of work, a lot of business law, and um, do a lot of white-collar criminal defense as well. So if it's small business, I'm involved in it in not so many different ways. I look forward to retaining your services soon. Um, <laughs> Very good. Actually, I may be giving you a call soon. And, and, oh, good, right. Well, and I cannot <laughs> recommend uh, Dennis McCrossan enough. He's helped out with uh, mm-hmm. my fiancé's divorce, and he's a great guy. So, um, Steve, Joe, any promotion you want to do? Steve, you're, you're welcome. You're welcome to follow me, but all, all you're going to get is the stuff about my grandkids, and uh, <laughs> right. as it should be, not 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 a whole lot of political stuff. All right, cool. Well, thank you guys for the time. I really appreciate it, and uh, I know our audience does too. Have a good thank you. evening. Thank you, thank Thanks for joining us here on the Chris Spangle Show on the We Are Libertarians Network. If you got something out of this, make sure you share it, please. We do appreciate it so much. Thank you so much.